0: God, once again, this morning, as we come and dive into your word, speak to us, challenge us, change us for your glory. In your awesome name, we pray. Amen and amen. Well, go ahead and turn to John 13 once again this morning. The last of our mini series on getting over ourselves. How many have have gotten value out of this last several weeks? Not three of you. But anyway, uh, (laughs) oh, get over yourselves. Uh, No, really, when you look at the world today, when you look at what's going on in the world, don't you just want to stand up on the roof of your house and say, will you people please get over yourselves, right? So if this is a solution, if this is what we need, how about we lead the way? right? As followers of Christ. How about we lead the way? Because what we found the last several weeks looking at this is that when we get over ourselves, not only does it make life better for people around us, but it makes life better for us too, doesn't it? God, Everything God tells us to do is good for us, right? can be a little hard. It's always a little hard, but it's always better in the end, isn't it? No, John 13, beginning at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around us. This will be our final message in John 13 here. Um, Again, such a beautiful illustration from Jesus here, uh, washing the disciples' feet, an illustration of our awesome God who lays aside, if you will, his glory, wraps himself in human flesh to wash away the dirt and the stink of our sin. Isn't he just incredible? Incredible God that we have. And we see how Jesus... Though worthy of worship, right, of heaven and earth, becomes the servant, even to someone like Judas, who spurned his kindness and his love. And we've said that Jesus could do this because of things that he knew, things that he knew, things that didn't change by other people's thoughts or words or actions. And we've seen in verse three already that Jesus, uh, first of all, he knew his purpose. He knew his purpose. He knew why he was here. He saw the big picture and keeping that purpose in the front of his mind. uh, It dramatically affected his words and his actions. We saw number two, that Jesus knew who he was that he was secure in his identity. So he didn't have to compete with anybody else. He didn't have to depend on the opinions of others. He didn't have to keep up some image, right? Um, He didn't depend on others for uh, for his sense of well-being. He could lay that all aside and become a servant. So now look at it again, verse 3. Jesus, one, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. There was his purpose. Two, that he had come from God. That's who he was. And three, that he was going back to God. Jesus knew that he was going back to God. In other words, Jesus knew the final outcome. He knew what was going to happen in the end. And therefore, he could risk, right? Therefore, he could sacrifice because he knew his ultimate outcome. So instead of making sure that he got his first and then maybe helping someone else, he could risk loving. He could risk serving. He could risk people going, you, with a towel, right? Where's your dignity, Son of God, he didn't need that. He could put that aside. There is a principle that is repeated in many places in the Bible and in many ways. Uh, Ecclesiastes 11:1 says, "Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days." Kind of, kind of poetic there, but it's followed by this in verse two: "Give a portion to seven, or even to eight. For you know not what disaster may happen on earth. What what is he talking about? It speaks of sharing, doesn't it? Being generous toward others and then like the tide coming in, it's going to come back to you as well. In the law of Moses, again, we read Deuteronomy 15. Beginning verse seven, if among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend to him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Luke six thirty-eight, New Testament, give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Second Corinthians nine, beginning verse six. The point is this, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So the principle is this. We see it all through the scriptures. If we live our lives in generosity, if we live our lives serving, if we live our lives giving, helping, enriching the lives of others, God We say it again. God will take care of us. He will see that our needs are met. And that's in this life. Right. Read the promises. That's in this life. But then we also see what happens in the next. Right. After talking about things like giving to the needy and forgiving others their trespasses, which we just prayed this morning. Jesus said this in Matthew 6 20. He says, but lay up for yourselves in doing these things. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So not only will God take care of us in this life. But then he will reward us in the life to come. In the parable of the talents, we read Matthew 25, beginning of verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away, skipping down to verse 19. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant, for you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter in to the joy of your master. A parable that Jesus told about us what are the talents quote unquote that the lord has given us yes maybe it is literal talents but when you look at this as a picture of heaven on that final day isn't the the property that he has shared with us isn't it salvation right isn't it our wonderful glorious salvation and all the blessings that go with it? And isn't the making of more talents then the living of our lives in such a way to help others to find that same salvation, to find that same grace? The giving of our time and our resources to serve, the sacrificing of our self-importance of having to have things our way Of giving a person the peace of our mind or having to come out on top? Setting that all aside for the sake of influencing others for eternity? Isn't that what it's all about? Isn't that what the judgment day and rewards will all be about for us? What did you do with that salvation I gave you? Isn't it, as Paul said, I became all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Right? See the attitude there? Whatever it was that people needed, if I, whatever I could do to help them to find Christ, whatever I could do to help influence them, it was worth it all. Paul had this incredible position advancing as a Pharisee. His life was set. He he had a position of power, a position of authority, a position of influence, a a lucrative position financially. And what did he say it again at the end? He said, I count it all as dung. You know what dung is, right? I count it all as dung compared with knowing Christ. And you see how he lived his life, how he sacrificed his life. He he goes through the list in in Corinthians, right? How many times he was beaten with rods? How many times he was shipwrecked? He was endangered in the country and in the city. He He was attacked by robbers, spent a night and day in the open sea, right? We read about some of those things in the book of Acts, stoned to death, right? Given up for dead. All those things he sacrificed for the sake of the gospel. Most of us will never have to face any of those things. But again, what are the things that we will sacrifice? Getting ridiculed. Being misunderstood. Not getting our way. Not coming out on top. All of these kinds of things that we sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. Giving up our comforts, maybe, right? For the sake of influencing other people, holding our tongue, biting down on that monstrous thing that gets us in trouble for the sake of the gospel. Again, the big picture, what's really important. Living our lives for the kingdom. Above all, with the knowledge, with the knowledge that in doing that, God has promised to take care of us. He has promised to take care of our needs on the earth and reward us immeasurably when we see him face to face. So do you see it? Jesus knew, the scripture says, that he was returning God, he knew the end result. He knew that once again in the heavenlies, the third member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would come together, rejoin, and I don't understand it all any better than you do, but rejoin the triune God in the heavenlies. And be restored to all glory and power and majesty. He knew all that was going to happen. He knew that was the final outcome. So while he was here, he could humble himself to death on a cross. He could be misunderstood. On and on and on ago, he put himself in positions, especially, you know, we read about the Passion Week, the whipping that he went through, the beating at the hands of the soldier. And, and you know, again, it's one of those things that he could have twitched his little finger. And, and, and all those soldiers that were, you know, uh, beating on him and pulling out his beard, he could have twitched his little finger and they could have exploded from the inside out. You know what I mean? He could have defended himself. But he came out looking like a fool, hanging basically naked from a cross, uh, scorned, spit at, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How could he do that? Because he knew the final outcome. He knew how it was all going to turn out in the end. And so you and I, as we look, how is this all going to turn out in the end? Well, I might have to give up here and give up here and give up here. But I know how it's going to turn out. God himself has promised to meet my needs. God has promised I take the low road here. Those who are humbled will be exalted. God will make sure that in it all, even though I might be misunderstood or ridiculed or looked down on or whatever, God's going to take care of things. I will be vindicated in the end. God knows the truth. He will make it happen. There isn't a human being in the world that can take away a blessing that God has promised to you or I, can they? They can't fight God. God can turn that thing in a heartbeat. Right? So what? Everybody looks down on you right now. Tomorrow things will be totally different or next week or whenever god decides but one way or another he's in charge so let it go let it go bite your tongue let let somebody else win let somebody else have their way you know all of that be ridiculed be whatever whatever happens happens god's going to turn that thing in the end and in heaven what is, what does paul call um 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, he says this, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What are you suffering for the gospel now? As tough as it is at times to hold our tongue. As tough as it is in time to so let somebody else win, to be maligned, to be ridiculed, to be falsely accused, et cetera, et cetera. As difficult as that is, and let's acknowledge it's hard. It's not easy, but as hard as that is, Paul says it's light and momentary affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory that he will bestow on us, which is beyond all comparison. Beyond all comparison. Gonna be phenomenal. Gonna be phenomenal. Laying down one's life in the service of the Lord, although it does create inward joy, doesn't it? When we sacrifice, when we serve, when we humble ourselves, because the Lord is happy. And when the Lord in us is happy, we're, you know, we're gonna feel that joy. Um, and although it brings happiness uh, and joy, and, and all it's not always warm and fuzzy, is it? Let's just be real. But we know the end result. We know that pain will ultimately bring gain, right? We know that a thousand years from now, the fact that someone is in heaven, because I chose to follow the Holy Spirit and not let them have it, because I chose to to bear up under it and and be kind to those that weren't kind to me, and that influenced maybe them, maybe somebody that knows them. Right? You never know how far the influence goes. Somebody once said, "Who's Who's greater, Billy Graham, or the person that led him to the Lord?" Right? You never ever know just how far influence will go. But someday, a thousand years from now, you will understand and you will reap again beyond comparison. Someday he will say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. The following was reportedly found written on the wall in Mother Teresa's Home for Children in Calcutta. Here's what it says. I love I love this. People are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful... You will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Give the best you have and it will never be enough. Give your best anyway. And in the final analysis, it's between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. Like that. See, when you and I know that God is ultimately in charge. When we know what he's promised us, when we know what he says about us, we can risk loving people. We can resist the temptation to have to save face, to come out on top, to have to win the argument, to have our way, to not let somebody get the better of us. Because in reality, they can't. not when God is sovereign, right? Think about this: Noah was rejected and ridiculed for about a hundred years. <laughs> right? Moses was mocked by the Egyptians, misunderstood by the Israeli elders. Jeremiah, the prophet, was rejected by his own people, his whole ministry. Mary faced scorn as a woman pregnant out of wedlock. And of course, among them all, Jesus was rejected by the many that he came to save. He died a criminal. But all of these held on to the promise of God. Who showed his faithfulness in the end. Right. They faced some stuff. Some tough stuff. People turning against them. Right. But God showed his faithfulness in the end. Didn't he. So verse 12 of John 13. Jesus says this to his disciples and to us. Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Starts here, doesn't it, church? For I have given you an example, verse 15, that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. What's he saying? He's saying, just as I have done. Lay aside your self-importance. Get over yourself. Focus on enriching the lives of others around you. Let it start here. And you will be blessed, both in this life and the next. How can we do that? How can we get over ourselves and find that abundant life Jesus promised? First, by knowing our purpose, right? Seeing the big picture knowing what is ultimately most important Two, by knowing who we are not having to find our value in the things of the world or looking successful in front of other people, knowing our identity in Christ and walking in that. And three, by knowing our ultimate outcome, knowing the one who holds the future, knowing the promises that he has for us. And where is all of this found? In the word of truth. The word of truth. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father once again. Oh Lord, your your kingdom is different. It's topsy turvy. <laughs> It's not at all what we've learned in this dog-eat-dog world. But, Lord, we know deep down in our hearts that this is it. It's the truth. It's the right thing. To help us to be different, to get used to different, as the song says. Help us, Lord, to follow the leading of your spirit, to go where you're going, And to trust you, Lord, to walk by faith and not by sight, to walk by faith, Lord, and not rehearsing the what ifs in our minds. Well, I've got to I got to come out on top here or else. Help us to give you our or else's. And know that you are going to come through for us, working all things together. For our good. Just as you promised. Thank you Lord. For your precious promises. As Peter says that we might become partakers of the divine nature. That we can be like you. We can be like Jesus. And know the life. That you have for us. We give you the glory the honor and all the praise. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.